Welcome back to another WSL episode. A big match to cover over the weekend and quite a bit to talk about. Um, I'm your host, Alex Ibraceta. I'm with Jesse Parker Humphreys and Abdul Abdullah. Uh, how are you two? Abdullah, how have you been? Yeah, good. Tired. A lot of running around, a lot of, lot of things to do. You know, football was, has been fun. So, you know, a lot of things to catch up on. But generally speaking, all good. Here we are. Missed the crew, so... Excited to be back, you know, to be recording with the two of you. Outside of football, how are you? Outside. Sorry, was that to me? Was that me? Oh, I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> did I say I'm too loud? I didn't hear you say you like The struggle. Jesse, how are you outside of football? Because obviously outside you don't want to talk of, about the weekend. Outside of football, I'm good. Looking forward to... Uh, Christmas, not too much longer to do work. And then some of us have, some of us are on our holidays already uh, on this podcast, but but not me just yet. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not filming this in 2020 in Miami. Not at all, no. And I just, just to add, before we get to WSL, I do want to add that we will be doing a Women's Champions League episode. Um, I know quite a few people have been asking, uh, and we've just... I think it's a mix of scheduling and then just us not being very, very forgetful to actually schedule an extra extra episode. Um, But we will do then after the group stage closes this week. At the time of recording, it's Wednesday. So um, a few games on literally about like half an hour and the other one's tomorrow. So we will be doing a episode to wrap up the group stages and look forward to to the knockout rounds and whatnot. But back to the WSL for now. Obviously... The headline was Reading's 1-0 win over Chelsea. I was buzzing. Did anyone have that written in their bingo card? Like, who expected, out of all teams, to beat Chelsea for it to be Reading? Like, really, wow. Um, but anyway, with a 4-0 win, Arsenal now go four points clear at the top of the table, which is grand. And Birmingham City... And Manchester City close. It took an 89-minute winner from Ellen White for Man City to get all three points. But then Spurs came back to win 2-1 after Aston Villa were up nil, And they're keeping their third-place spot in the table. Who had that on their bingo card at the beginning of the season? Um, and West Ham shared points after a 1-1 draw with West Ham. And Man United beat Brighton. Now, let's get right into it. Reading 1, Chelsea 0. Deanne Rose, Yes! <laughs> We, we can talk about Deanne Rose just a little bit. I think we mentioned her in, in the preview part after, especially after the Olympics this summer. I think we all know what kind of player Deanne Rose is, but were we expecting her to just stroll through the entire Chelsea team um, for literally... I, her run started at the halfway ended up... But Reading have had interesting results, I suppose. I mean, there's a reason why we never expected Reading with Chelsea. Um, they beat in Brighton, Aston Villa. They drew last time. They've lost to Spurs, Everton, Man United, and Arsenal. So, and Chelsea had 77% possession with 10 corners. I mean, three four attempts on goal, 77% possession. That's if you put that outside of the scoreline, you would probably predict around like a three-nil win at least. Um, but Jesse, let's go to you first. Simple question. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, less thoughts and more groans. <laughs> but because this is a podcast, I won't just groan into a microphone. Yeah, a real game. I think, you know, it's been a weird week for Chelsea. Obviously, 
there was the win over Arsenal in the FA Cup final. Amazing. Everyone's really happy. Chelsea potentially had their best performance, I think, of the season, if not, you know, of the calendar year. Um, then there's the draw with Juventus, obviously midweek. Once again, I'm sat next to Alex's girlfriend, and I don't know if this is a theme, but <laughs> Chelsea draw nil-nil. But I think it's fair to say in that match, Chelsea still played quite well and were probably genuinely unlucky not to score. And then in this game, I feel like even though the, the, the top-level stats are quite good, I didn't really ever feel like Chelsea were going to get back into it. It was really stodgy play. It was really slow. There was a real sense of, of panic, I think, from the team. E- even though they went behind so early, there was so much time to get back into this game. Um, but I felt like, you know, Hayes makes all these subs at half time. And I think that kind of creates like this element of worry for everyone because it's like, oh my God, it's an emergency. We need to put Fran on. And it was Reading did really well to, to sit back and they defended really, really well. Um, you know, some of their blocking was like kind of just otherworldly, but ultimately it was just quite a frustrating, odd game against a team who Chelsea normally very easily take apart. You know, this is a team who obviously Chelsea played twice a season, their manager's the same, like not a huge amount has changed about this side. Um, and last season, I think Chelsea beat them like four or five nil home and away. So just a really bizarre one. I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, if you play this game on multiple times, Chelsea probably like come back and win still. But like just there there really wasn't, you didn't feel like Chelsea had been hard done by by coming away without a win. It wasn't like, you know, they could go home and be like, we were really unlucky. It just felt like they really weren't, weren't up to it ultimately. Yeah, and for some of the context, Deanne Rose scored in the fourth minute. But but is is this a case of where the stats tell the story of the match quite well? Yeah, you know, not really, because if you're really looking at the, the stats of the two teams, I mean, Reading had four shots and one on target, and the one on target is the one that they scored in the fourth minute. And after that, it was just... Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. I mean, you look at the possession stats, they had 77% possession versus 23, 594 passes versus 179, you know, and then 34 shots, obviously the big one that we said. And 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 I think the biggest difference here is they only had five on target, you know, when you have 34 shots and and, and the quality of Chelsea's attack, you expect them to have more shots on target and 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 you know, break down a team, team, you know, that there is such a gulf in quality against. Um no, I think I think I think it was just it was just one of those cases, and I and I agree with what Jesse was saying. Is the whole game there was just it just felt like there was no threat from Chelsea. The, no matter how many times they attacked, no matter how many shots they took, no matter how many passes they tried to get through, it just felt like there was no rhythm, there was no consistency, and even bringing on the subs at halftime, I felt like didn't uh, do. I mean, they had some effect, but you know, it still felt like Chelsea were were going to you know hit a brick wall and, and not come away with anything. So I think I think overall, I think it's it's a good, decent defensive performance from from Reading. You know, in in the sense that they didn't really give away too many high quality chances, and that you can tell from the only five shots on target. You know, of the thirty four total shots. So, um, you know, in some sense, you could even argue that, yeah, maybe Reading even deserved to win the game with the way they defended and, and kind of using one counterattack and going through early on in the game and, and scoring. 
And Jesse, Chelsea have had a couple of tricky games where teams have played low box. I mean, just looking at midweek against Juventus, that nil-nil draw, Juventus were playing for the the draw, really. Um, you know, they do have attacking threats, but how many times did we see Lino Hurtig actually get, you know, a chance on goal? They, they were pretty much... In the- yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's a strange one. I've been trying to think about it a bit this week because, yeah, like you said, we've kind of seen that in the Juventus one. Obviously, they kind of knew that a draw would basically be enough for them to go through in the Champions League, given that they play Severe. I mean, you know, who knows that's going to happen tomorrow night. We'll we'll see if that that actually worked out for them. They certainly celebrated like it had worked out for them. But, you know, we've also seen Chelsea struggle with it against um, Villa and against Leicester. And it's a strange one because... You know, naturally, you think that Chelsea playing with a back three and wing backs would give them a lot of the kind of width that you can use to exploit with low blocks, because that's normally what we think about, right? When low blocks, like they're really trying to compact that space and kind of quick switches to play. play. But I wonder if it is those kind of like the speed of play, which is is actually what Chelsea is struggling with. You know, they've been playing a lot of games this season, and I do wonder if you know we maybe aren't talking enough about what this the Champions League group stage has done in terms of adding to teams' schedule. You know, I do think you've seen similar signs of fatigue from Arsenal. You know, that that 1-1 draw with Tottenham, I think it's it's fair to say that's a game which you've, you know, if you just watched it without knowing the scoreline, you would kind of assume Arsenal, Arsenal would have come out with a win. Um, and I think in the past, obviously, you might have had like Conti Cup stage games midweek but most of the time your opponents aren't of the level that you're expected to play against in the Champions League and I do think you know because Chelsea are such a counter-attacking team generally the extra level of effort it requires them to to take on a low block requires them to be maybe a bit more switched on than they are And, and you know in this Reading game it just felt like there were so many moments where players had an opportunity to take an extra touch um take some time to think about what they wanted to do with the ball, still play at pace, but like not rush it. And instead it was just like, it was almost like they knew they needed to play fast because so that Reading didn't get set, but they didn't have the concentration actually to do that without just like kind of shanking the ball out of play a lot. And I think that's kind of the the problem here is that Chelsea, it just really feels like they're they're very fatigued and they're struggling to figure out how to rotate in a way that makes their players fit, um, but also allows them to still still beat the teams in front of them. And we'll we'll get on to it later, obviously, for Arsenal who had to face Leicester, who were I mean, they they weren't really low block, they were just a really high compact block, basically, but they didn't do well at all against, I mean, I personally don't think they did it. I think it was down to that fatigue that that you're talking about, Jesse. I think having, I mean, just if you look at the schedules, you know, they played Champions League last week. They had a game on the weekend and then they had Champions League again this week. It's been on top for that for the past few games. And yeah, you you did mention there that a Champions League group stage isn't necessarily the same as a Conti Cup group stage or or something like that. So it is really interesting to see the direct effect that, all these games are actually having on the players. And it is, I think all of the players appreciate the level of games that they're able to play now, but in terms of fatigueness and, and just mental sharpness um, that they have to keep on, it is very tiring. But um, Abdullah, is, was this another game where the French players didn't cover themselves in glory? Why do you think that this, and are they good enough or is it just a case of not having enough momentum? 
I think you can argue that, um, you know, maybe it's a little bit of both, but I think it's a truly figure out whether, you know, the players are actually, you know, good enough, the squad, or if there needs to be a change is if, if those players are playing at probably what you would think is, you know, their, their best sort of their best state, you know, so you, you, you know, what we've seen this season is a lot of Chelsea playing their best starting 11 for a few games in a row, I say four or five games. And then suddenly you will see, uh, a host of changes of like, you know, three, four, five players coming in to replace some of the top players. And then suddenly they've been asked to do a job. And most, you know, uh, you know, you go back to the Aston Villa game where Chelsea just about won one nil, another game where there was so much rotation. Um, they didn't really, you know, do too well over there. Then, you know, Chelsea reverted, reverted back to their strongest 11, did well again. And then you even look at it now, this game where, again, Drew Spence came in, Jan Anderson came in, and, you know, Beth England came in and suddenly again, Again, Chelsea looked a little bit um, off pace. And, you know, to some extent, I don't exactly blame these players for not being able to perform at the highest level because, you know, you, you've been you've come in and you've not played too many games. You're almost very, very cold. You don't have the momentum. You aren't exactly in, 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 in the game state or, or any of that because you're playing one week. Then you kind of know that the next four weeks you're not going to be playing a game maybe in Bethany England's case who come on for 20-30 minutes a game and, and you know probably have a better chance of starting but when you kind of know your second choice there is almost like this this feeling of well I'm only going to be playing this one game you know maybe psychologically mentally they they, they kind of uh, aren't, aren't there just because they know that they're, they're probably not going to get a chance in the first team uh, for a proper run unless there's an injury and, and, and I think in Jesse, I think Jesse Fleming was a little bit of a different story because I think the idea was always to integrate her into the first team as a starter. And it just so happened that Harder got injured. And now you see that Fleming, when she does come in, uh, she she plays at a high level because she knows how the, to play with the team. The chemistry's there. Um, and there's this momentum with her. You know, she does sit out for a game. She can come back for a game after, and she has that. And I feel like with players like Bethany England or or John Anderson, uh, particularly, I think they need rhythm and game time. I mean, only a couple of seasons ago, Bethany England was the second highest goal scorer in the league and when Chelsea won the league. So you don't just lose that overnight. Um, and then kind of maybe, you know, even playing her in the right position, I think she played at, on the left uh, in this game and she is a central striker. You know, I think this is a game when uh, if you needed to make changes, you know, you, you, you probably maybe even bring in Harder and Fran and you keep, you keep Bethany England there and you maybe put Sam on the bench just because, you know, she's, she's tired. She's played two, three games in a row after coming back from the international break. So I think these sort of situations and, 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 and choices need to be better managed. And then I think then we'll probably know whether these players are good enough, whether there needs to be a change in, in, in the, you know, the outer area of the squad. So obviously Arsenal beat Leicester City 4-0. Uh, Jordan Ob scored, uh, Viv Miedema, of course, and Frida Manham scored a brace. Um, and it was obviously a chance for Arsenal to go four points to the top, and they took it. Um, and I won't be lying if I was a bit nervous, thinking that Arsenal might have fucked it up. Um, but it's slow and steady, and eventually we got a 4 and a win, and it's fine. Um, Jordan Nobbs got the opening 24 minutes in, and Viv double lead 12 minutes later. Um, but yeah, Gemma Furfield got what I think was soft. It was, I think it was a textbook red, uh, but it was very 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 soft I think that could have easily passed with the yellow but anyway uh, that was in the 43rd minute you guys can tell us what you think but I think it was a really soft red very unfortunate for Leicester um but even with 
Arsenal weren't able to do much um, in the second half until Freedom Adam came on and saved the day, scored twice in a span of two minutes and starting the 81st minute. So that was quite nice. Two headers. Um, she stole a goal from Nikita Paris. And I can't say I was, I was sad about that either. Um, but Jesse, Lester played in a really high line, a very flat line um, starting in the midfield. And obviously pretty much the only about it was put into space for the wingers, for Nikita Paris, um, even Anna Patton, who was playing fullback to run on to. But I mean, how effective is this game plan for Leicester City being so high and flat? And just, I mean, at the end of the day, it was easily beaten, but Arsenal, I mean, they still controlled, they, they kind of minimized the damage, but how effective is this game plan? It's really weird. And I don't really understand what she was going for at all. Um, even putting aside, you know, maybe that was Arsenal. Maybe she just saw this game as a free hit because it was always going to be a lot for less to take points of Arsenal, obviously. I still don't see how this kind of high line is really going to help Leicester um, in the, against other teams in the league because I just think it's so easy when they're playing like that. They don't have the quality of players to really press from the front, I don't think. And it's going to be so easy for opposition teams to just put balls over the top of them, which is exactly what Arsenal did. I mean, it was the perfect game for Nikita Paris. I really think if you think about Paris, you kind of think of her almost running onto those long balls in the channels. And it was probably honestly her best game in an Arsenal shirt. It's quite a low bar, but I thought she played really well. Um, I think it was strange though, because Arsenal still didn't look great. I mean, I think as soon as we saw Leicester's tactic, or at least as soon as I saw Leicester's tactic, I was like, there's no, I literally turned on for about 10 minutes and then turned off again because I was like, oh, maybe Arsenal won't win this. And I was like, no, Arsenal are definitely going to win this at some point. Um, and yeah, exactly. Obviously Jordan obviously scored quite early on anyway, and it never really felt Leicester were going to come back. But um, yeah, it, it was definitely strange because I still felt Arsenal didn't really click particularly well but I think it's maybe similar to kind of the Chelsea explanation but yeah just really not sure what Lydia Bedford was thinking there and like bless Demi Lamborn because I feel really like I felt kind of sorry for her because like she's Leicester's second choice goalkeeper and she's had big shoes to fill from Kirsty Lavelle and she's actually been really good I'm like I don't understand how Leicester are like hiding all these amazing goalkeepers but she was obviously having to do this like kind of impression of a sweeper keeper and I was just like oh, this is like, she wasn't even doing it that badly, but you know when you can just see how uncomfortable a player is who's obviously being asked to do something they've never done before. Um, so yeah, really strange, especially because Leicester have, you know, again, we're talking about Leicester really frustrated Chelsea by playing a, a good low block. So they kind of know that they can do that. I don't, you know, with Arsenal's kind of like, they conceded seven goals and hadn't scored any in two games. Like maybe you should have just gone for that. But hey, hey. Yeah, it was definitely interesting because um, it is true you mentioned there, you know, Arsenal Arsenal's wingers are probably one of their biggest strengths. Uh, their fullbacks are wingers, you know, Kate McCabe, Nikita Paris, Beth, it is, you know, they thrive with the amount of space that they have. You know, it's someone like Steph Catley, who we haven't really seen be that good in that attacking fullback position just yet, I think. She was having so much fun because for just all the space that she never gets to have in any other game, but it was, yeah, it was just interesting tactic. It played to Arsenal's strengths. And I think if you look at their last matches, you would have seen that they're moving the ball too well and attacking that well. You know, yes, it wasn't against Barcelona, but just in general, they haven't been really effective in their attack. 
And now what Lester did was just give him a shit ton of space to basically do whatever they want. So I thought that was interesting as well. But Abdullah, are Arsenal doing enough? We're talking, you know, they've they've had a tough week with the FA Cup final and then Barcelona, you know. But it's a 4-0 win. You know, it did take Freedom Adam to come on to score two extra goals. You know, it's a high line. It's, I mean, there's only one way to beat it, which is balls over the quality to do it. But I think they should be scoring more in these situations. Yeah, and I, mean, I think you know you you can argue that yeah I, they 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 can and should score more with the with the players that they have against teams like this and you know the, the way they they create goals. But I think um, Fornil is still not a bad bad scoreline. You know, I mean it's it's um, it, Leicester ran like like Jesse said Leicester ran Chelsea uh, you know a, a tough tough game. So you know Arsenal beating them four nil is 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 pretty good. Um, I think I think with Arsenal, I think it's it's uh, it's another case of I think he's still trying to figure out to some extent. All right, what's the best eleven that can, you know? Obviously, he knows his best eleven. He knows he knows his strongest eleven in, in a sense. And I think it's just a matter of these other players coming on and 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 kind of showing that they can create and they can finish. And I think again, it comes down back to the whole rotation aspect we talked about with Chelsea of of being able to, you know, players like Nikita Paris who haven't really played much and coming in, can you do a job and, and, and do that? And, and Manam who's played regularly for Arsenal this season comes on and, you know, scores those two goals. So I think, um, I think part of it is down to that, but I think I think Arsenal, in in some sense, I think they're in a good position. I think against these these the, these teams that they have, uh, they have more quality against. You know, they're they're almost like the flat track bullies. They know really how to play, win these games, and, and more often than not, we see them with big score lines of like two, three goals plus um, most of the time. So um, when it when it comes to that, I think I don't think Arsenal should be too worried because if you're winning four nil on a on a consistent basis and you have the chance to score maybe five or six. I wouldn't be too worried because it just means that you're still putting away 50-60% of your chances, which I think for the most part is, is still a good conversion rate. Um, you know, me and I missed one or two chances against Leicester, which is, I mean, it's it's uncharacteristic, but it happens. Um, but yeah, if I'm if I'm Arsenal, I'm not too worried. You know, maybe if you just want to instill more confidence, you score that fifth and sixth goal, but you know, 4 0 isn't too bad of a scoreline. Yeah, let's not talk about the chances that they've missed. Um, one positive note for us is that Simone Boy played at centre-back. Um, and I did get to late to watch this game, but so I didn't get to see a lot of her because she got subbed off. But what I saw was actually quite promising. She was, I mean, yes, it was the, the situation was that there was space on the wings, and but she was really good at penetrating space and actually getting the ball forward quite quickly um when you, you compare her to someone like Lata or um even like well Schneiderback isn't too bad but you know Lata and Jen who aren't really the quickest at getting the ball forward um I think Samboy actually did quite well and I'm curious to see how much more she's going to be able to play in general because I think that's what Arsenal are, are really lacking that's their biggest point but looking at Leicester City again you know they're still bottom with zero points um, from the entire season so far. Jesse, a new manager now and Lydia Bedford, and obviously she didn't really get the tactics this game, uh, but do you turn things around in the second half of the season? I'm not sure if they play like this, she will be able to, but I mean, they so they play Birmingham this weekend, and I kind of worry for them because Birmingham had their own like little resurgence, which we're going to get to against Man City. Um, so I feel like they will go into that game feeling a lot more confident. 
And if Birmingham win, they're obviously then they've got four points. So they're four points clear of Leicester with zero. And I do wonder if that will be quite a big mountain for Leicester to climb. Um, I still think Leicester's squad is of a much higher quality than Birmingham's. It just feels like they've they don't really have much like togetherness as a side, which is strange given that you know they they've come up from the championship together. There's not been like this whole host of ins and outs the way you get with Birmingham every year, but it just really doesn't feel very cohesive. I still don't think they've quite got the balance with Natasha Flynn and Jess Sigsworth, right? And, you know, those are two very talented attacking players, but I wonder if they, you know, Lydia Bedford just really needs to kind of, boil it down a bit more simpler you know just like maybe play some more longer balls and have someone like Tash Flint run onto them or you know boot balls into the box for Jess Sigsworth to go up for I just feel like maybe it's all trying to be too clever and my worry is is that they don't really have time to be clever or they're just going to go straight back down yeah I agree with all of that and yeah Abdullah you know looking at the same point you know Tash Flint and Jack says, word, you know, they're not a bad pair to have in your attacking options. You know, they're, you know, just like we've seen her with, with Man United. And yes, you know, there was, there was maybe, I wouldn't, there were better goal scorers, but, you know, she was into to that Manchester United side and she did score quite a few important goals. But how much longer can Leicester survive with no attacking plans and threat? You know, it's all, it's all fun and games to, to defend for your life, basically. But if they don't get any goals, you know, how, how long can they survive for? I mean, not long, kind of kind of referring back to what, what we were just, you know, what we were just saying, if that Birmingham game becomes, becomes important, if they lose, then um, you're, you know, so many points behind. And if you can't score a goal, then you're not going to get any points on the board. You can't serve. I mean, at this point, as, as, as Leicester City, you can't survive on draws. Like even if you start getting a few draws in there, you're only getting single, single points. And the gap between last place and second last place is widening. And, you know, you don't want to get into a place where you have a mountain to climb. And, you know, I, you know, you, you, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they can do what the the Leicester men did, and you know, come from, the, you know, that that impossible season where they were going to get relegated and they somehow got bailed out. I think that's, uh, uh, let's put it this way: this this Leicester team don't have their Jamie Vardy um, up there right now. Because if they did, yeah, you know, they could be causing some problems here. But no, they need to start scoring sooner rather than later. Whether they use set pieces, whether they use counterattacks, whatever it is, long balls, route one, pick your poison, but just figure out a way to get teams. And I think the most important thing is beat the teams around you. If you can beat the three, four teams that are just in front of you, that is going to be the most important thing because without that, they're not going to be able to uh, do anything. It'll be, you know, straight back down and then they're going to have to, you know, build up and go. And it's unfortunate because that team actually has some really, really good players. I mean, there's some, there's some really, you know, I can see if this Leicester team goes down or even if they don't go down, I can see some of the mid to top table sides um, picking up one or two of their players because, you know, they've, they've, they've come in and I think they've shown that on an individual level, some of them really know how to perform i can definitely agree with that uh but we're gonna move on to birmingham city to man city three um interesting scoreline when you see it and i was shocked again um but birmingham city took the lead through a penalty in the 28th minute stanway equalized in the 31st at uh, 34th minute and then louis quinn took the lead again in the 39th minute and then hemp equalized in the 44th so a very back and forth 
game in the first half, at least. Um, but Jesse, who was this result down to? Uh, did Burke play really, really well or did City just not play well, for example? Um, I feel like it was a bit of both. I definitely felt like Birmingham looked a lot more like they wanted to go forward and they were willing to go forward. But I also feel like there were points where kind of City played into their hands for that, you know, classic what we've seen from City this season, like making it really easy for teams to to get high turnovers, high up the pitch, um, flapping in defence. That's obviously how Birmingham win their penalty to score and kind of that Louise Quinn's equaliser, um, no, well, when she gives them the lead again at 2-1. Again, just like people not dealing with it. But um, I did think Birmingham were a lot more solid than they have been. Uh, but yeah, City do just like shoot them in the foot. Even like Lauren Hemp's, when it's nil-nil, Lauren Hemp misses like one of the biggest sitters that I've seen this season after Hayley Resso crosses in. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so, so classic. Um, Georgia Stanway's goal was amazing though, I will say, to bail City out. And I think, you know, really like City were the better team and they they probably did deserve, deserve to win ultimately. But um yeah, it's just such classic city at the moment, isn't it? And also because there was all, obviously all this hype like that Lucy Bronze was going to be back, but then Kira Walsh got COVID, so Lucy Bronze couldn't be back. Um, but, you know, I, I don't even know what to say about this city team anymore because they will continue to be like this whilst Gareth Taylor is in charge. Like, even bringing on, like, still not playing Bunny Shaw, it's like crazy how much she gives the side and like I thought she looked really good even in a a role that like you know kind of playing on this like right wing as a support like support to Ellen White and I was just like we know that's not like Bunny Shaw's best role but like she was even showing in those 20 minutes that she can do that so just do it from the goddamn start like I don't get it it's so strange to me and I don't know in some ways I find it funny because I am like let's just keep Gareth Taylor in because Man City will probably be like always this kind of level of mediocre. Like I still wouldn't be surprised if they qualified, you know, in the, in that third place of the Champions League, but they're just, they're just never going to be like a really good quality team with him in charge. And they're always going to rely on things like, yeah, Georgia Stanway, like smashing it into the back of the net from 30 yards out or whatever. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame because you look at, See what Nick Cushing did with the side was it was really really good. Um, but I think Nick Cushing was a lot smarter. He played to the strengths that the players had, but also when you look at obviously their male counterparts, when you look at that the style and philosophy that Man City is trying to instill since Pep took over, you look at this woman's side and it's the complete opposite of that. It's it's just it's such messy football, like awareness whatsoever. It's just everyone's just kind of. Yeah, just like flopping around and it's not nice. And, you know, you have the players to be a really good technical side. You know, Caroline, we're like even like Vicky Lozada coming in. You know, these players have Kira Walsh is probably one of the most technical players in the entire WSL, I think. When you have these players, you don't play really good football. It's just, you know, that's only down to one person. And I think this person right now is Gareth Taylor. Um, but Abdullah, what positives did you see from the city performance? Um, they won the game. If, if any, <laughs> <laughs> they won the game. They got three points. I mean, that's that's a major bonus considering the season that they've had. No, but if I had to pick, I mean, it's just kind of more of the same, right? Yes, they did win. They got bailed out. But you know, if I had to really put down a, a positive here, I think 
the bunny shot coming on in 20 minutes it's kind of playing this right wing supporting you know striker role i think showed that you know she's going to be one of the you know more important players and i think she needs to start more often than than than, than not so i think that's uh, that's important and i think um I think Stanway's goal playing from a from a midfield position. I think that was uh, that was that was pre- that was pretty good. Um, but overall, I think it's it's going to take time for this for this team to get back into the levels that they were last year. Because I mean, at the moment, until it changes at the top from Gareth Taylor, I don't think anything will. Because it doesn't matter at this point what he changes. Because in some way, anything that he changes is still going to have part of the. He's, it's not like he's going to completely change his style from this to a completely, you know, low block counterattacking team. So unless you're going to make a radical change like that, as, as an example, I don't think this team is going to be able to do anything, even if he changes the formation, even if he changes the players. I think it also goes to show that they're missing um, someone like Lucy Bronze, who I think, you know, at full flow will really give this team something really, really good going forward and probably defensively because I think she's a leader in that defense. And I think once she comes back, I think she'll be able to help stabilize it. I mean, we even saw in this Birmingham game, one of the chances that I think Birmingham couldn't score, I don't remember who was on the ball, but Alana Kennedy just kind of, you know, missed the tackle. And then, and I think Greenwood fell onto the floor and then, you know, Birmingham just couldn't finish it. But, you know, it, 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 that came from, from Karima, the goalkeeper kind of giving the ball away, you know, from, from her, uh, you know, when, when she was clearing it off the goal kick. And, you know, I think all of this is just, you know, piling up. And I think the January window is going to be important for them to be able to, you know, salvage anything from the season. I think. Yeah. And, you know, a few things looking up for City in terms of, you know, Lucy Bronze coming back. Can't really say the same for stuff. I don't think it's going to really do much of a difference, but a lot of, a couple of positives to, to look forward in the new year for City with a few players coming back. Um, but Jesse, is it up from here or are they just going to flatline for the rest of the season like this? I think. You know, City have enough quality in their squad, especially with players returning, that they can beat 10 of the 12 teams in this division. But I really don't see them beating Arsenal or Chelsea in their return fixtures. And I think even if United were able to get their act together a bit more, which seems like it might be happening um they would also give them a run for the money because i just think you know i know the injuries thing has like affected city and that then now they've obviously got a covid outbreak as well but i think it's just still been massively overstated that like this is a good team full of internationals and whilst they've struggled with injuries defensively most of their attacking players have been fully fit for like large portions of this. Okay, taking aside the the Chloe Kelly loss, which is obviously a long-term one. And that is obviously legit because she was probably their best player last year. But again, it just feels like what this shows is City have exceptionally talented players who kind of last season were able to cover up for maybe like not the best tactical approaches to games. So when you start to strip back those players who are kind of in the top 10 percentile and you start just looking at the players who are in the top 20, whilst those players are still really good, they don't have the ability to cover those gaps. And I just think if you look at Arsenal and Chelsea, okay, like they both have their wobbles on their days, but generally if they're missing key players, it doesn't have to be the end of the world for them because the tactical systems that Idaval and Hayes have those teams playing in will be more than enough to see off 
large swathes of teams. Whereas with City, what you're seeing is when even those very, very good players go, they're suddenly struggling against every team in the league. Um, and I just think that pro- problem will continue with Taylor in charge. Sure, Taylor, please stay at City for as long as possible. Um, it is conflicting though, because you, you do want you know a team like Man City for the league. When looking outside of teams that you support, when you have a team like Man City being so poorly, you know, footballistic, so poorly run, it is really sad to see. Because, um, you know, they're supposed to be good and they're supposed to be competing with the, with the top two, you know, race. But Gary Taylor is just so unable to tactically, not even tactically, just in general, he's unable to adapt to whatever changes in the league happen, um, which is quite interesting because obviously you know even when you look at Emma Hayes you know she obviously the, the back three is new this season you know and Jonas Eidwell she's been able to adapt really well and good. Gary Taylor just isn't able to do that at all no matter what um, but Abdullah you know we've, we we touched upon it briefly before but what the performance like this obviously Birmingham City they're going to go into the weekend uh, full of confidence but do you think that it's sustainable for the long term to stay in the league over Leicester? I think so. I mean, if they can repeat the same kind of performance that they had against Man City and and the fact that, it, you know, at least it was, yes, they lost, but the fact that they scored two goals against City and they had a good performance, I think really bodes well for them uh, going forward. Because if we had said here and the score was, say, 3-0, Right or or three one, then you can then you can, and you can say yeah, well Birmingham City played really really well, but Man City, if you look at the scoreline, ran away with it and they won it. But you look at the scoreline and you look at the game and you look at how everything went. You're like you know Birmingham still scored two goals, uh, you know against City, and if they can continue doing the same, having the same sort of effect, same sort of performance, and continue to score goals like this, then yeah, I, I don't see how they they can't. Um, beat Leicester considering the fact that we just you know we were just talking about the fact that if Leicester don't score goals they're not going to survive and if Birmingham are scoring goals then you know it's 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 pretty much the writings on the wall for Leicester and, and I think Birmingham should be safe if they can continue doing this and if they can play like this against teams around them I don't see how they can how they can lose or not get points off those games yeah that is fair to say and staying um on the topic of interesting teams about winning games around them Brighton nil I did too. Um, not exactly the goal scorers that you'd imagine. Haley Ladd and Boariza scored. Um, I did really like uh, all the praise that Boariza got on social media, including from Casey Stoney. Um, that was a really she is a really good player, and I yeah, just got a goal, so that was that was really wholesome content to see. Um, but thirty attempts on goal for Manchester United with fourteen on target. That's not too bad. Compelling stats uh, against Reading. Um, Brighton finished with just four shots and two on target. So quite interesting. Um, you know, we have talked about this Brighton side quite a lot on this podcast as of recently because Hope Powell has been obviously doing a really good job, and Man United haven't been doing that great job. I think we're it's fair to say the biggest fans of Mark Skinner so far. Um, but Man United managed a tune for Brighton and, and Jesse, these are the matches that we said that Brighton needed to win to keep up with the top four spot. Now United sit in fifth level on points with them. Was this a scoreline that you expected from this match? Yeah, I think I didn't definitely didn't expect United to manage to dominate as much as they did, but I think this game really summed up how hard it is for 
a team like Brighton to compete at the top of the league right now because, you know, they were missing Anessa Kagman, I think, for something COVID-related. I think she must have been a close contact or something. Um, and then Dan Carter only played the second half because she'd picked up a knock in the week. Don't know if that's when she was wandering around at Chelsea Juventus. She looked fine there, but maybe she stubbed her toe or something. Anyway, but the problem is, is then you're bringing in players who just ultimately aren't at the same level. You know, like there were some like opportunities early, early on in the first half where Brighton had really good moments to like counterattack, but it was like Ellie Brazil on the ball and like, bless her, like she just, it just really hasn't like clicked for her maybe in the way we expected two or three years ago when she kind of like broke onto the scene in, in the WSL and she just doesn't have the kind of like quality or accuracy to really make those moments count. Then on the other hand, you've got United who can bring in a player like Vildebo Arisa who ran the whole show. And I mean, for every United fan, I know there's a lot who sat here all season and said, why the fuck aren't we playing Vildebo Arisa? This was like the most evidence you could ever have. It was like a revelation. We've spoken all season about how United's midfield has just looked so non-existent. Like they don't want to, they can't shut up shot. They can't, um, like progress the ball through them and here you kind of had Boerisa in alongside Labanzella but sitting a bit ahead of them making kind of late runs into the box uh, helping to break up play she should have probably had a hat trick to be honest um, you know she like had so many of United's best chances she really deserved her goal when she she got it and yeah um, I mean I will say, I think there's the questions that we have about United. It's still fair to have them, but I think it definitely showed that Mark Skinner is kind of thinking about them and he can see where the problems are. Like that's what making that change felt like to me. And obviously it worked. And I think that's always a positive thing to see a manager do. I think there's nothing worse than you're, when you're like sitting, watching a team week in, week out, like this is so obvious, like how is a manager surrounded by analysts not coming up with a solution to to that? And it's good to see kind of someone have a bit more like maybe humility and be be ready to make that change to to integrate a player. And yeah, Burrisa just looks like a fantastic talent. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure, as I say, it's not going to be the complete solution, but it was a really, really big win for United to get. I think that was a really good way of kind of summing up Boariza um, in general because I think it was everyone that has watched her play before was obviously buzzing about the sign in. And yeah, you know, a lot of Man United fans and WSL people in general just didn't really give her the time of day. They really knew what she was about. And maybe I know obviously it is a new club, she had to adapt. And then you have a coach like Mark Skinner who isn't the most, who isn't the brightest? I guess that's a good way to put it. I don't know. But yeah, in general, that that's. That's how that went. Um, and also I was with Dan Carter for the Arsenal-Barcelona game and I two-footed her on the pitch, which is why she had to leave. So um, that's that's completely my fault. Um, but I'll do like, we, Jesse talked briefly there about Man United. You know, things looked good on this game, but is it going to be looking good for quite a while? Like, did you see the changes? Um, are they going to be sustainable for the rest of the season? I mean, they're going in the right direction. Um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, we've, we've, we've come on this podcast before and we've kind of complained about the fact that Skinner doesn't look like his, he has, there's any structure or the structure that he's, he's trying to play isn't, you know, you, we can't see it and it's been so long and why is he not really making any changes? And I think finally, like just said, he's 
he's finally looking at where the problems are and he's made that adjustment and bringing Bo Risa in has really, you know, obviously she's, she's done extremely well. And, and, and I think, I think the stats tell a story, 30 shots and 14 on target. And I think that's a, that's a massive, you know, just under shy under 50% on target, which is, which is a great conversion rate. If you can keep doing that and, and you get your goals and, and I think it's good. And I think the overall game, I felt like United were on top. I think they dominated pretty well. I think the, I think the fullbacks of, you know, I think the fullbacks actually shined even better with this midfield in place because there was almost three of them in there. And I think United playing with three midfielders allows the fullbacks to push up and really be able to do a lot more. We saw on still, you know, pushing up a little bit more coming inside, really overloading those, those, those half spaces in the, it, you know, towards the central areas, you know, she, she had a couple of shots from there which was really good I, I thought Russo had a good game at right wing you know she was obviously the assist for the um, for the second goal uh, and I think I think she did well over there so I think I think overall there are good positives here I think he just needs to keep looking at the system keep refining it and kind of finding that balance between what he wants and what squad he has and I think he's just taken one big step towards that and I will uh, and you know and, and I will say that I think um I think I think overall the defense, you know, they they weren't tested as much. Obviously, we can see it from 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 the uh, from the from the scoreline, but and and the obviously the stats. But um, you know, I think I didn't think they did too bad either. So I think overall, good 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 day out for United, and um, you know, let's let's see what they do over there over the next few weeks. And moving on to another podcast favorite manager, uh, Jean Luc Vasseur, and Everton had a one one draw with West Ham. Uh, Zanita Wine took the lead for West Ham in the 40th minute, but Tony Duggan came to the rescue for Everton and equalised in the 76th minute. Um, Everton now sit ninth with 11 points and West Ham sit in seventh with 13 points, levelled on points with Man City and Reading. Um, it's quite interesting table. There's quite a few um, levelled on points in kind of mid-table, so that's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds. But Jesse, was this a fair scoreline? Oh, my beautiful, foolish West Ham players. Every week they do this to me. Every week I'm like, yes, West Ham are winning. And then every week they concede in the last 15 minutes and draw or even lose. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if they don't know that football matches are 90 minutes long and they think they're over and then they're not. But um, yeah, I mean... I don't really know what to say, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I think West Ham should have won this one. I think they broadly had the better chances. Everton are just a team I really can't figure out. I don't think they look any better under Vesser than they did under Kirk. I don't understand why Hannah Benison isn't starting. And then after every game, Vesser's like, yeah, she was amazing. And I'm like, you know, you can play her from the very beginning. Like, that is allowed. Like, if you think she's your best player, you can just start her. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the, the the positive for West Ham is that they still look like a really good team um, a lot of the time. And I think that will stand them in good stead. They were probably, you know, I put them in a piece about like teams going for third, which was just more because I like them, I think, than, than actually believing they could do, could do it. But I think the, you know, the eye test of improvement from them versus last season is absolutely massive. I thought it was really interesting game was how much more Lisa Evans was kind of cutting inside rather than like hugging the wing, but she was getting into like really good positions, like 
within the width of kind of the box, um, which isn't something we, we've kind of really seen her do before. Obviously, she's only just been coming back from injury, so she's not had a huge amount of game time. But I just think probably West Ham's problem is they don't have a really efficient goal scorer right now. Um, they're kind of getting goals like from here and there from, from various players. But if they had you know, someone who could guarantee them kind of 10 goals a season, I think that would make a, you know, that would make a massive difference. Like, I don't think any side has dropped more points from winning positions than they have this year. Um, But hey-ho. And then we've got the harder derby at the weekend. So that'll be, that'll be one to look forward to. The harder derby. That's, that's quite nice to be fair. It sounds nice. Um, but Abdullah, did you see progress in this Everton side? More specifically, have you have you seen the progress under Jean-Luc Besson? Not really, because they're still not winning games consistently. They're not scoring goals. You you are you like deliberately trying to get me to go on another rant here about? <laughs> in, I, your answers today have been so blunt. I love them all. Just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's come over me today. I just you know I've been so been so far. You know we've been so away from the pod for so long. I, maybe maybe I've missed. You know maybe I had this pent up frustration and anger I needed to release. I don't know. Um, honestly, no. I'm I, I'm going to continue with the blunt angle then and just kind of roll with it. No, I, I, I don't see anything different going on here because it's, it's the same set of players. I don't see anything, anything too different. Yes. There were moments in the game against United when they played a couple of, a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I saw Claire Emsley was their most dangerous attacker. Kenza Dali playing through the middle was, was really, really good. And, you know, you could think, Oh, wow. Is there something happening here? And then it's, it's, it's like the, it's like to an extent they can do the they can do the job well until they get to the final third, and then when they get there, they can't finish. And Anne Vergard is is you know I think she's still settling into the league, so I can't even say anything about her. I think she'll I think Anne Vergard will come good eventually, but I think she needs time to settle, kind of like the Boarisa story that we had. Um, but Valerie Gova hasn't been consistent enough yet. You know, I think, you know, I, she scored a lot of goals that season Then she had the injuries. So I think the injuries have really played a part. You know, Everton needs someone who can finish for them. Tony Duggan was supposed to come in and also be that player. She's only just scored her first WSL goal. You know, it's taken, it's taken a few games as well. And again, we come back to the fact that Probably he's, you know, Vasur is going to want to go and get a couple of his own players from, I think he's hinted at the fact that he's going to go to France and pick up a couple of players from there. So again, they'll come in again. They'll have to settle into the side again. They'll have to figure out whether that player will adapt or not quickly or not. And it's just going to go through another cycle. And if they don't, you know, if they don't do anything, they're going to be languishing mid table. And then it's just going to be another waste season for Everton because it only means that, you know, City come back, you you think come back to full strength next season, and and then again you're you've got three teams who are going to be competing for the top three places, and then you're going to have to compete with, uh, you know, uh, for example, a Brighton team who's done really well, and that you know you can see them progressing forward. West Ham for all their inconsistencies could move up a level. Uh, not even to mention United, who will have a full season under Skinner. And now, like we just said, they're starting to get that that positives going. And if he can get his, he can get himself together with this team, then you know he'll step up, and then it'll just become a much more difficult challenge for Everton, you know, going into next season. So uh, something has to change sooner rather than later. It can't be the manager because he just walked in, so he needs to figure something out sooner rather than later. And now moving on to Jesse's favorite manager in the WSL, uh, Ryan Skinner and Tottenham. The Aston Villa 2-1. Villa did take the league in the 19th minute through Remy Allen, but Kaya Simon uh, 
not not a favorite of the pod, but a notable honorable mention of the pod. Uh, she equalized shortly after through a penalty, and then Rachel Williams won it all in the 68th minute. I've said Williams's name a lot more than I expected this season in terms of scoring goals, and I've been quite impressed with Richard Williams so far uh, but Jesse Tottenham steadily in third place so far uh, next up they play Everton who obviously we just talked about but do you think they'll stay in third place after this weekend and through the holiday break I actually um, was really cheering Rahan and Tottenham this week because I did this piece about teams who could come third and then West Ham and Brighton promptly lost so thank you Tottenham for continuing Sean appreciate it you are single-handedly trying to stop me look like an idiot, especially after I also wrote a piece about how confident Chelsea would be after winning the FA Cup final. So Tottenham are the only team helping me keep my career. Um, yeah, they looked they looked good this game. The Rachel Williams thing is is really, really funny. Um, I keep thinking it's a run out at some point, but she, she really does keep on going. And, you know, she had like a number of quite good chances in this game as well. She seems to really you know kind of playing in that more like static nine position with then having runners off her like Jess Naz and I do think this like works quite well it kind of combines giving Tottenham a presence with also trying to be able to like turn teams over and we know lots of WSL teams you know if you do kind of get those defenses running back towards goal you tend to have quite a good advantage um that being said again it is like What's fascinating about Tottenham is they're just like a really solid team. They're like, they're like never really blowing anyone away. And I actually thought Villa looks, especially in the first half, looked pretty good. I definitely think, you know, Alicia Lehman feels like she's settling a lot more into this team. Her link up with um, Maz Pacheco, I think it's really nice. Um, but yeah, they just keep going. And I don't, yeah, I don't see any reason. They all feel like they should be Everton, put it that way. Um, and again, a bit like what we were saying with the Brighton United um, game this week like these are the games you really really need to win if you want to kind of show that you can um, hold on to this this third place because obviously Everton have okay they're not having a great season but there's like still plenty of time it's very very close in there being able to kind of stretch out um, that that lead over other teams will be really important and the other kind of funny thing is I don't think this is going to happen but obviously Chelsea losing has also reduced the gap between second and third and I do wonder if it will help Tottenham to even have an eye on on above them again not that I think they're going to necessarily be able to make up like the gap with Chelsea I'd find that very hard to believe but I think it takes pressure off them from feeling like they just have to be the best of the rest and instead actually just puts them in a league um, and I think because that can be something that's really hard in the WSL when it gets really like segmented up um, so I think it'll be interesting to see if they kind of can hold on to that psychologically yeah I think this weekend is going to be telling. I think I think Everton are, are at a very very vulnerable position at the moment so I think they should get the win um, but in the second half of the season once teams have had transfer window once they have time to kind of regroup everything else I think it would be interesting to see how Tottenham kind of continue it and it is true they're, they're that team that just kind of get by quietly um, you know they're not playing outstanding football they're they're enough they're doing just enough to kind of win the games that they need to win and kind of prove themselves against teams that maybe they didn't think they should but looking at Aston Villa now Abdullah we've talked about it briefly before but are Aston still underperforming 
I think a little bit. I mean, you look at kind of the squad of players that they have, and, you know, they have some pretty decent players. You look at, um, you know, Hannah Hampton's a pretty good goalkeeper. I think in the future she's going to be, you know, uh, pretty, pretty good. Uh, Mas Pacheco's had a really good season so far. Uh, you know, you've got the likes of, uh, you know, Emily Gielnik, who I think was a coup uh, in the summer. I think of a few clubs after, and she chose Aston Villa. Um, Asante's, you know, experienced, you know, at the back there. Um, you know, at, and then there are a few other players in here that you you could say, you know what, yeah, not not too bad. So I think, um, and Alicia Lehman's, you know, one of those players that can just, you know, on her day can can really cause problems to any any side going forward. So I think they've got the makings of a of a good squad here. It's just a it's just a matter of fact of all right, you know, can you string together a good few performances, keep a tight at the back, kind of keep going forward. Um and go from there. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you look at the way that they've been playing. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they lost. I mean, they've lost more games, obviously, than they, than they have. They lost to Reading 3-0. Then you had the, the Chelsea loss that was narrow. They did decently well there, all things considered. Um, they beat Birmingham 1-0. Then they lost to City 5-0. And City were, you know, a team that have been struggling. Um, and, then, and then you've got, obviously, they just lost to Spurs. And I think I think in some way, the game against City is is a little bit telling because if Birmingham City can 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 put them, you know, to run them to a close game as, we, as we've just seen, I think then Villa are really underperforming because they lost 5-0 to a side that are that are struggling. I mean, it doesn't get any easier. They're playing Manchester United next on the on the 19th. So and and they're a team on the rise. So it's it's getting to a point where they need to they need to start collecting some points and putting together a few good performances because I think this group of players are better than what they're showing now on the pitch. I think, yeah, I think that's fair to say. And it's, you know, it is last weekend, um, but it is I'm forward to the second half of the season kind of seeing how everything gets put together for a lot of teams. Um, But we'll leave you with that. That is everything from us from this week's WSL episode. Um, Keep up to date with our latest episodes at VoxBoxWSL on Twitter. And we will confirm a date for our Champions League episode. We promise we are doing it and we promise we will do it just a matter of when we will do it, um, which is likely next week. Um, A bit of a shameless... promo here do watch all the champions league episodes on the zone's youtube channel um so you can keep up with what they're saying um it is you know it's the easiest it's ever been to watch champions league and we've talked about it for a really long time to kind of vouch for the quality that you're seeing on there right now so i do encourage you to watch it if you haven't watched it regularly yet um but yeah that's that's that and we'll let you guys know on twitter when they're recording um, and platform a review we would appreciate it very very good, greatly and um, i'm gonna just keep talking for everything i'm saying i love it um, but thank you again everyone and we'll see you soon <laughs> goodbye see you later <laughs> <laughs>